Unfiltered, DBE Diverse Business Elite Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and community stakeholders who contribute to making a difference, talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the sometimes controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, I want my staff to understand that in every room that I am, that I'm in, you have the opportunity to express your ideas because I may not know it all. I mean, I may not be the expert in housing. We talk with Dr. Roderick Heath, Assistant Vice Chancellor and Dean of Students at Fayetteville State University, who shares his journey from a low GPA in high school to a rewarding career in academia. Just to introduce us to Dr. Heath. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you start, where you're from, um, the, the journey to where you are now, and why higher education for you. I was born Roger Keith. I was born in small town in North Carolina, Monroe, North Carolina. Um, was raised by my grandparents in kind of single parent home, been raised by my grandparents. And, you know, throughout my life, I was a very interesting in, inquisitive young kid, but didn't have a lot of discipline and direction. And although, you know, playing high school sports, I was able to matriculate through high school, but I never academically engaged. And so I graduated high school uh, with a 1.9 GPA. Um, While I had uh, scouts looking at me to play football, um, I had no aspirations to to the classroom because it didn't connect. I didn't have um, a connection with academics, but my grandparents would always have like encyclopedias, um, the National Geographic's newspapers. So I was learning these worldly things. My grandma was teaching me from her point of view because she never finished high school either. But I would read newspapers, National Geographic's and encyclopedias. I was I was intrigued at the the worldly stuff and how the world was connected. And was so big and so fast forward. Um, Livingstone College took an opportunity, it took a chance on me. I went there to play football. Mm-hmm. Once again, no structure. I left after one semester. And when I left Livingstone College, um, I went back to my hometown in Monroe, North Carolina. And I worked in factories, I worked odd jobs. And just working those odd jobs mm-hmm. and seeing the, the struggles of people. I really realized that college was something I might want to give an opportunity, a chance to. And one night, um, I had a friend who continued his college journey. He was home from college, and I didn't know it. You know, I'm 22 at this time. Uh, He was still chasing his football aspirations at junior colleges. And here I was getting thrown out of a nightclub. Guy had uh, Mm -hmm. hit hit me with a bottle on bleeding. And out of nowhere, this guy grabbed me. He said, Roger, 
you're going to be dead or you're going to be in jail. You should have come to North Carolina Central. And so as I wake up that next morning after that horrific night, I'm laying on my grandmother's couch, and I'm like, you know what? I need to give this college thing one more try. And so I uh, went to the public library, and I rented the SAT for dummies. And every night when I would get out of work, I would put this disc in to study it because I knew I had to take the SAT again. And so I finally took the SAT test and um, set my scores off. I would call the Central every day, North Carolina Central every day for about two weeks straight. I was like, did I get in? Did I get in? And the lady, Miss Luann, was like, uh, Mr. Heath, come on, you got in. And I had never been to Durham before in my life. And at this time, I had a car mm-hmm. payment. I took a chance. I quit my job, and I shot to uh, Durham. And here I was with a car payment. I called the company and said, you know, I'm, I'm going back to college. Yeah, I had this car back. I, I, rent, I rent credit, gave the car up, and I came back to Durham as a 22-year-old man living in a freshman dorm. But I really didn't care. I was like, I got the. I have this thirst, this knowledge. And I know I, I, was never, I was always the smartest guy in my circle, but I can never apply it to the, to the classroom. And so North Carolina Central gave me an opportunity. But the crux of the matter was I was mentally prepared to go, but I still had other traumatic things that I was holding on. And so when I got to North Carolina Central, after about a year, they suspended me for a semester. Cause, and they told me, come back when you get some therapy, some counseling, and get yourself back together. And so when I went back home, those same friends were still doing the same thing, and they were offering me drugs, marijuana, and I was like, I, I, got, I can't do this. And so I went and got my therapy, my counseling, and I applied back to Central, and they let me come back. And the rest is history. When I returned that second time, I had grew over that, mm-hmm. sum, those, that six months that I was out of school. I grew. I joined clubs. I became the photo editor for the campus newspaper. I became the broadcast president because I was a communications major. And I just took over the campus and got engaged, and everybody started norming. And I took this opportunity to grow. I moved off campus and, 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 and got me a house. And so I was moving, and I was I was an older student, but I was mingling with everybody. And it took mm-hmm. off for me. I was able to go uh, intern with the New York Times during Hurricane Katrina, and I started seeing the world for what it was. And then I, I graduated from North Carolina Central, when I got my master's from Wingate University in sports administration, and then my doctorate from Fayetteville State University. But I think the way I tell that story is because that's, that's why I'm in higher ed now. That's why I do the work that I do now. Um, as a young black male with no father figure, grandfather being 30-plus years older, you know, in his 60s, there was no no connection. And so for me, higher ed gave me an opportunity um, to to really work with black males. Uh, that was my emphasis when I was at North Carolina Central University, to work with black males. And I created one of the nation's top black male program. We had a 94% retention rate, and I, we was bringing black males in, teaching them how to shake off their old self and become a new person, meaning unpack your suitcase. That was my mantra. So the things that you've learned over the last 18 years, how do we um, get you to look in that suitcase and say, uh, I like this tool. I don't think I need this. Mm-hmm. Whether that's you coming from a family that every Friday they party and drunk every weekend, how do you recreate yourself when you come to this college atmosphere? Um, just working for the Durham Housing Authority, just working for the gang unit, I started seeing so many youth being lost. And so I said, 
I want to be a teacher, a motivator, an educator, and I want to work with the community and higher ed to bring those two together. And I think that's how we can um, develop. And so recently I was uh, I was at North Carolina Central for almost nine years, and I recently I came to Fayetteville State as assistant vice chancellor and dean of students. You know, the, the chancellor reached out. They saw the work that I had been doing in the community in that North Carolina Central, and it's like there's maybe an opportunity here, apply. We could love to have your, your expertise here. And that's how I, I became the vice chancellor here I've been since December. And so that's a little synopsis. Lots more to that, but I wanted to just give you that little piece of <laughs> who I am and how I got here. How important and, and why why would you think it's important to have social and emotional um, intelligence on this educational journey? What role do those two play in your development? Um, for me, my research is in non-cognitive behaviors, right? I look at, I think we are all a naturally gifted academically God or whoever you believe in, provided you with a brain and common sense and all those things. And But it's how you develop those and how it's nurtured as a young baby. So if it's a young child, I'm in a disruptive household where it's all disruptive all the time. The brain uh, from research shows that it develops to that that trauma, that notion. And so for me, um, I look at two of the greatest arguments in the world. We look at Booker T. Washington and we look at um, W.E. Du Bois, right? One was looking at the, the structure of getting uh, agriculture, getting trained, owning, and Du Bois is like, get your higher education. When I think about those two, if they were really put together for a race of people, they could really mold and grow the community because they are trades, there are uh, things that you need outside academia. But when you're in a college atmosphere, you got to think about it. You're coming to a new place. It's not like high school. No one is, no bells are ringing. Um, there's no conducts left. There's no ISS. You're on your own. You're paying for this. You might have family support. You could be a first generation of person, but you got to understand that throughout the journey, that's going to be cliffs, valleys. It's going to be ups and downs. You may flunk a class. You may get a C in the class you thought you had to be in, and and you just can't give up and walk away because this 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 uh, financial uh, loans if you have any are stuck with you when you put your name on that dotted line, and so you have to manage those things because you may have to work or you may have to just juggle five classes in one semester. How do you do that as a person? What do you do in your in your off time? Are you taking mental health breaks? Are you doing fun things to keep you away from the work? Because if you get this focus on all the work 24-7, there's an opportunity that you might crash out and get overwhelmed. And that's when students start taking the semesters off and say, you know, I can't do this. It's just too much. But you got to have a clear balance. And what I do with my students is teach them how to map each semester out. Like, there's going to be ups and downs, but how do we map this mm -hmm. out? How do you take your day and look at it as a job? Okay, I get up and go to class. Okay, now what's your break? Do you go to the mall to get a release and come back? Do you go to the room and relax, take a nap? How do you do this? See, but when you add in the other intangibles trying to work, and some students want to engage in other uh, curricular activities that may not be productive, then you have papers due. That's how the overwhelming effect occurs. But I think, lastly, I'll say this. The two go hand in hand because the brain does get tired. The body does get tired. But if you have mm -hmm. a balance within your life, and you teach students how to balance on a college level, those students uh, matriculate a whole lot faster and successfully. What is your leadership style like? 
and how does that impact the climate of diversity at your institution? I believe in transformational leadership. I feel like as the vice chancellor, since the vice chancellor, um, there's going to be tables that I'm going to be um, the head of and in charge of and, and creating and programming and and also changing atmospheres and climates on this campus. But there's also a chance for me to give my staff, my students, an opportunity to be at the table as well. When you look at transformational leadership, I want my staff to understand that in every room that I am that I'm in, you have the opportunity to express your ideas because I may not know it all. I mean, I may not be the expert in housing. My housing director is the expert in that. So why would I come in and try to be the expert in their space? I need to be knowledgeable on on that space and know all that I know. But they're in it, they live in it, they're dealing with this uh this housing issues, day to day operations. Who am I to come in and just uh, blow it up. So I have to have the foundational set. And so with transformational leadership, I'm challenging my staff to come with new and creative ideas that I can support because at the end of the day, I don't want to be the only voice. I don't want to be the end-all, be-all of every situation. We all have a certain talent. And as my leadership style, I'm finding the talent within my staff and so I can put it on display. And so, one, that helps them feel like I'm being seen, um, they believe in me, and it's not my way or the highway type uh, mantra. I, I never believed in that because as I grew up in my ranks, I always wanted my supervisors, my chancellor, to know that this is an area that I'm passionate about. If given the opportunity, I can show you some things, some ideas that I have created that I think could help the university. Um, I understand that when I was dealing with housing, I would talk to the janitorial service. And people say, why would you do that? Because the janitorial service is in that building more than anybody. They can tell you who sleeps in, who's not going to bed at night, which room they have to have a lot of issues with. And so I have to listen to them. They're experts in my building. And oftentimes students will say things around them because they didn't feel like, oh, that's just a janitorial staff. But that's one of my biggest assets in the whole building. And so for me, uh, just providing um, a roundtable discussion and providing a space for your unit to grow, that's where you see people wanting to come to work when they go when they know they have a leader that's willing to give them a voice. What are some of the challenges? I know you mentioned some of those sociocultural challenges coming up, but what are some of the most maybe one or two of the most challenging aspects of increasing diversity in the academic community and what steps would you take to, 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 to meet those challenges? Well, one of the most challenging things I would say for me, or just for a higher ed period, um, diversity mm-hmm. in the, 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 the faculty population, right? You know, um, in certain mm-hmm. communities, we still, we still celebrate the first, meaning the first generation student, the first to go to college. And a lot of those students are not finishing it all the way out. Like, a lot of them are one and done. And so when you're looking for a diverse faculty population, when you only have a certain um, um, a certain population that is going to get their PhDs, that are going to get to those high-level degrees, not saying the other uh, uh, populations can't do it. They're, they're, they're stopping at master's or undergrad, and so they're not going to the higher levels. And so these jobs are requiring master's degrees and PhDs, and you don't have that diverse population. I give you an example. When we look at the math, the 
apartments on certain camp campuses. Lots of times there's no diversity in those apartments. In the sciences, you have certain you have certain races that go into those those specialty fields and because they love those fields. And then you have a certain amount, say HBCU, when you have students that going into departments and nobody looks like them, then that's when the divide comes. Students don't feel supported or they don't they don't they don't trust the the administration not saying that the administration is going to do anything wrong but culturally they don't see themselves in the department which makes them not give their full effort and that's why you don't see a lot of students in the sciences in the math because they they don't see themselves in those places and so I don't on the other side of that when you have faculty and staff that's not engaged into your campus when they you know was like the student life population there's a disconnect in the classroom which oftentimes uh, relates to your retention, relates why some departments that have uh, a diverse mm -hmm. population of faculty and staff, you see more students prone to going those majors. So really, higher ed, depending on your your uh, your uh, department, producing students are, are kind of pushed to those majors, not even saying that that's the major that they want to go into, but they feel more comfortable here, mm -hmm. feel supported, and that's something that we need to work on as, as a weakness. Uh, my my ultimate goal one day is to become a chancellor, uh, president of a university, and how I would address it, um, creating pipelines. I would create programs. Um, one is not enough. Mm -hmm. So when a student come in and be a biology major, okay, what's the end goal? Do you want to go into dental school? So how do we create funding, master's program in dental schools that when he he or she already knows when I come in as a freshman. This is the end goal. So I would start these pipelines. So when you come in as a freshman, um, uh, you'll have a, a full six-year, seven-year agenda, you, depending on if dental school is an extra three years after you finish undergrad when you use your master's. I would create these pipelines of finish lines, like one is not enough. So I want to go into medical school. If I want to be a lawyer, how can I – create up programs where students can take some pre-law programs as an undergraduate, one, to make sure this is what they want to do, but by the time they finish undergrad, they may have 12 hours of law school already completed, right? And so that may cut their three-year program into a two-and-a-half-year program. So I'm just trying to create pipelines where students have an active plan so when they become a senior, they say, well, I don't know what I want to do next, and I didn't plan for this, and they have a, a biology degree with nowhere to go. So as a chancellor, I will recruit those students who want to get through these programs. They sign up and say, if you, if you sign up here, we're going to support you all the way to your dream. You get what I'm saying? So it's going to be a process thing. You're going to have a, uh, um, a support system. You're going to have a success coach. We're going to bring you in a curriculum-style environment. This is our dental students. These are our future lawyers' uh, cohorts. This is our judges. You know, whatever you want to be, I will break it down to that and then find faculty and staff, alumni, to mentor these groups of students so that we have pockets of students that are going into these fields to help them diversify. Okay. Okay, so pipeline, and that, that focuses on outcomes to help you structure your way through and and yes. I appreciate that approach because sometimes the space can get overwhelming and, and as a student myself, you sometimes don't even have an idea of what you don't know just yet to be able to help you to get there. So, so I appreciate that approach. And, and I want to say this too. Here I'm creating, I'm, I'm partnering with a company. Um, it's a mentoring app, but it's an app 
is a, is a platform where our students will be able to log in and alumni will set up profiles. So it's like a it's like a higher education platform where if I'm a lawyer, I'm willing to say, you know, throughout the month I have ten open slots of thirty minutes. If your students want to set up appointment with me, we can talk about the, the the lawyer field or the dental field or the bio. And so it's a way for them to connect with having mentors that are in the field who look like them, that could tell them what the trends are looking like. And so students don't don't and when I when I say waste time, I don't mean it in the negative. I don't I hate to see a student get to the finish line, walk across the stage with a degree that he or she really is not happy with. Even though I graduated, I don't want to do this. And so with this platform and my program we're going to, by the time you're a sophomore, we're going to make sure you're in the right major and we're going to change. I think students should be able to take a course during their freshman year in that field that they're thinking about um, really uh, saying this is my major. So I wouldn't even have my freshman really declare a major when they first get to school. You think about it, it's August. The student just had a curfew about three months ago. Now we want them to pick a career for the rest of their life, I think is a lot of pressure on a student who's fresh yeah. out of high school. And and what are your thoughts on developing partnerships with the private sector and community organizations to, to kind of um, undergird and bolster higher education initiatives? Uh, I, that's, that's here. Uh, one of the things that I love to do here, before coming to higher ed, um, I was a community-based worker. I mean, I worked in the community. I, make, I work with a lot of different agencies. Um, I feel that um, if higher ed is training students to come back into the community and work, the first stop is building their relationship with the community so they'll know. So we'll know what the community needs. What What is the trend in your your selected field so that we can prepare our students for the new trend so they won't be coming out behind the eight ball, meaning that if, if you're looking at social work and we're starting to see a lot of students dealing with anxiety, depression, and other uh, issues as young kids. So my social workers, we need to focus on the trend to come in. So when they graduate, they'll be uh, prone to know what's going on in their field. And so they won't be out there trying to learn from behind when we can go ahead and get them prepared for what's to come. Um, I feel like higher ed, uh, if, you, if you look at the civil rights movement, right, the higher ed, the higher ed was the, and I hate to get, Religious over there, so it's like higher ed was the, the mm -hmm. academic church for the black community, right? And so that means mm -hmm. messages brought speakers in. You had all these different civil rights, uh, Marcus Garvey's and uh, Booker T. Washington, the boys was traveling, MLK to these different universities to speak to the the masses of people in those areas, tell them about education, tell them how to better themselves as a community. And this is way before social media and everything. So those people flocking to those universities to hear these great speakers speak so they can learn. Because it wasn't, I can't just pick up the phone and call you and tell you what's going on. They had to really come together as a community, take it back to the community, take it back to the local churches, the community uh, spokesman, and pass the information around and build. If you look at the Black Exodus Movement, you had a whole population of, of a race to, to move west without social media, without cell phones, without, you know, imagine the communication, the work ethic, the traveling of those speakers pushing that message around. So when we look at the community base and the college base, there has been a disconnect, in my opinion, 
to certain areas. I think when we're looking at the science, math, and the technology, they have a connection. But when it comes to the general majors, um, I think there's a lapse mm-hmm. in how the communication. You look at teaching. Teaching is one of the most uh, – well, people don't even – going to teaching anymore. Before I left North Carolina Central, I started a pipeline for male teachers because the schools were calling us as fans. We have no male teachers in the space. But the community and the schools have lost the connection so no one is looking to go into that field. What are you what what efforts do you think um could could be created to support multicultural understanding and cultural competence in higher education? Piggybacking on some of the the responses before about, you know, that sociocultural disparity sometimes, the academia part of it. So how how would multicultural understanding and cultural competence kind of help to, to stem those issues? Um, I think as a higher ed level, all faculty staff should 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 look to go get certifications and learn about the, the the world the world is changing um, the the new world of what we see today will be totally different in the in the next ten years when you think about diversity when you think about how uh, races are 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 uh, are mixing together meaning like they're they're dating outside the race more people are, are are coming into the United States and more students are traveling the world so when you look at diversity and inclusion you look at students that with pronouns and how they perceive themselves as human beings, you can't, as an older person or a younger person, deny the right of that person because that's not in your belief system. So when we, in my opinion, all faculty, staff, we need the training. Uh, we need to know what's consistently what's changing in the world. Um, oftentimes, you know, if you've been in the field for 20 and 30 years, you could be an expert in the field. But if you're not, it's kind of like a car. If you're not consistently tuning up that car, eventually that car will break down. And so in my opinion, when you look at diversity and inclusion, there has to be massive uh, information shared. The faculty and staff have to be open to change, to understand. No one can change your views or how you really see the world in a personal view, but you've got to understand that you're teaching at public institutions, private institutions, and that people have the right to come to these spaces knowing that they're going to be accepted for who or how they see themselves. And so as higher ed, we have to do consistent training. We have to go out into the community to show them that colleges are, are a welcome environment for all people and that we're here to um, listen to you, to see what you need as a student. And faculty and staff, we're here to learn from you guys and understand that we're going to provide you with safe spaces to 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 evolve, to exceed, to matriculate and graduate in a timely manner. And that's our challenge as higher ed, making sure that every student that comes to our campus is fully supported, no matter what they believe in, who they are, how they identify. That's how you see active, community, active communities on a college campus. People feel safe, people feel seen, and they'll tell their other family members and friends that at this university, at Federal State University, this is a safe place for me because I feel like I'm supported. Uh, people are not judging me, and I'm consistently seeing faculty and staff learning about the trends of the world and how people are changing their mindsets and people are listening to what's to come through the pipeline of higher education. What achievement uh, are you most professionally? Um, professionally, I think mm-hmm. for me, being able to 
position myself nationally as a retention specialist as it pertains to mm -hmm. the, the 21st century student, particularly um, men of color. Um, I, I talk to mm -hmm. a lot of universities around the world, and I provide them with, with consultation on how to develop and produce successful programs that can keep young men, minority men, at their campuses and what that looks like. I go in and I train faculty and staff on how to um, how to work, like we were talking about, welcome students that are diverse. And, and oftentimes when we mean diverse, and it's not always race. Diverse is me coming from mm -hmm. a rural city with a population of only 4,000 people with no stoplights and I come to a big city. The world is going to look totally different for me. So that makes me, that makes me different. And how are you going to mm -hmm. adapt to this student to make sure he's successful? So that's what I think my biggest accomplishment, being known on the national level as a a uh, visionary for retention of student development. What are your future plans? Well, that's a twofold question. Um, I'm the first mm -hmm. in my family so to, I was the first year student, the first person in my family mm -hmm. to ever become a doctor. Um, and coming from my struggle from a 1.9 to getting a doctorate degree, my ultimate goal mm -hmm. is to travel the world and motivate people outside of being a president or a vice chancellor of a university. Um, I feel like my transformational leadership, the way I see the world, my visionary style of change and making sure everybody's welcome, I believe, I believe that I can lead a university to a a higher achieving uh, space, meaning um, I'm going to listen to the students. I'm going to listen to faculty and staff. We're going to create a, a mecca of, of HBCUs, meaning we're going to create a space that we're producing high achieving students and that are very productive in the world. And I really want to see myself as a chancellor one day, uh, president of a university. Thanks for listening and remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join DBE in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. DBE Magazine Where excellence and exceptional